Hello, I'm Mark Petruzzi, host of Selling the Cloud podcast. And I'm Ray Reich, your co-host of the show. We talk to a wide variety of cloud and SaaS industry thought leaders and revenue generation experts. Who share their unique insight into what is required to build and grow a great business in the cloud. Now, on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of Selling the Cloud Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Petruzzi, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ray Wright. We are joined by the amazing Amy Bullis, founder and CEO of Avenue Talent Partners and co-founder of Thursday Night Sales. Today, we'll be covering three main topics. B2B SaaS sales leadership model. Is this working or completely broken? How do you attract and retain top talent? in this extremely competitive industry. And assessments, we're gonna go into a little bit of cognitive behavioral assessments, how to use them, when to use them, when maybe not to use them. Amy, please take a moment to share a brief background of your world and your life and what's brought you today being a guest on Selling the Cloud. Well, thank you for having me. Reunited and it feels oh so good, fellas. So round two to pack a serious punch. So about me, sales is my first business love. Startups would be my second. And I spent the lion's share of my career inside selling products and services for the HR tech talent acquisition recruiting community. So I think about all of these things all the time and have for years. I was an individual contributor. I've sold over $100 million in revenue on my own. No channel, no OEM no white labeling, just yours truly. And then on the flip side of that, I've also been in leadership. And so I started my company. It'll be six years on October 15th. I started my company because I I realize that when it comes to scaling, that that is really broken around building out a sales model. And it starts with the sales leader search, which is what I do. So I, I deal with VP plus for sales, CS and RevOps. It starts there and it kind of trickles down. And a big part of this is perception versus reality. So my job and what I'm here to do is to cut through that, to speak both languages on both sides fluently, to make sure that people get it right on both sides, which is where I see a big problem today, which I know we're going to talk about. So thank you. So let's jump into the deep end right away. So is the sales leadership model for most SaaS companies working or not today? Well, I think the stats would illustrate why it's not, right? So in tech, they stick around less than 19 months. And depending on who you speak to, that number is shrinking. And so in my opinion, no, it's it's not working. Now, does that mean that sales leaders are bad or that business or startups or companies are bad? No, it means that we have a problem that we have to address and solve. So let's dig into that because... To your point, whether it's 16 to 20 months, right? Depending on which research you read, that's that's the average tenure of a revenue leader. And by the way, on the other end of that, the account executive, the direct salespeople, their tenure is only about 20 to 21 months. And you're seeing 30 to 35% annual attrition. So you've got issues on both sides. So let's go into sales leadership first. What do you think are the primary contributors to this short tenure, Amy? Well, before I answer this, to add one more layer to what you just described, not only do you have that problem on both sides, 
it's also one of the top things that companies are trying to hire. So not only can you not keep people, you need them and there's a shortage. We have a supply versus demand issue. So that in and of itself is a problem, which then speaks to where we're going of, well, how do we fix it? Because if you know that it's a seven figure problem, it is absolutely a seven figure problem to mishire a sales leader. So if we know there's that, and then we know that it takes time to find them or the right one, this isn't just a butt in a seat that you fill. And you know that what happens next is determined by this role. How do you deal with that? And where does it start? So to your point, where does it start or what are the key factors? I think, first of all, there are 48 different kinds of sales leaders in tech and Jason Lemkin has written about it. I absolutely agree and subscribe to that. And there are many other shades of gray around that, depending on what we're talking about. I'm talking about the VP of sales. You then have your team leads, you have your managers, you have your directors, you have your SVP, you have your CRO. I mean, there's all sorts of different people. And depending on the stage of the company, this is where it really starts. There is a mismatch between the work that's required and the actual person that's doing the work. Because it's very, very rare, if not impossible, to find a sales leader that can do every single thing at every single stage of a business. And that's where the problem lies. So you have founders that get seduced by what I call the shiny objects of they meet a sales leader and the sales leader is saying the right things. And so they're talking about scaling. They're talking about, I've done this five times. And they're talking about growth. And they're talking about all the key things that you want to hear that's very seductive. What you're talking about is what I want. So why wouldn't I hire you? Problem is it's the how and the what. And does that how and what translate to my task at hand? And what I find is, especially if it's a technical founder or a team that has not really spent any time around sales, you don't know how to decipher the what and the how. And so it's very easy to just stay with the big statement that's being made to you. So if I tell you half of my team once went to president's club and I doubled the business year over year, and I've been part of three startups that have all exited and I'm an A round founder, I perk up like, yes, yes, I want that. I want to be that. I want to live that dream. So that's one thing. The other thing is people hire for the future, not current state. So unless you deal with current state, you're not going to get to the future. And if you don't hire for current state, it's going to be very difficult to get to the future. So I can't tell you how many times I hear people say, we're the next Uber for this, or we're the next Walgreens for that. And because they're trying to validate what it is that they're doing, it's very easy to talk about we're the Google for this. Well, you're nothing for nothing right now, right? And so getting caught up in the dream and yes, I've started now three businesses. If we include Thursday night sales, it's great to think about the future but I got to be rooted in what I'm doing today. And these things evolve. So six years ago, I started my company. What I thought I was going to do was very different than what it looks like today. Always sales, but I thought I was going to run a consulting firm. I thought I was going to place talent acquisition people because that was the industry that I came from. I had to pair things off as I was validating and understanding and pinpointing my ICP. Make no mistake, folks, you cannot scale if you do not have product market fit because you have nothing to scale. So these are some of the factors. Great setup for where we wanna go next here. And that is, so sales leadership, recruiting and hiring. How do, you, how do you ensure that 
the person that gets through the process is the right person, the right person long-term, the right person, as you said, that is gonna be successful launching from where you are today. And then, you know, you want that person to be the one that's the right person two or three years down the road when you're an entirely different company. How do you make that work? I think you get real right and real honest with what the situation is. And you, and you stay that way through the hiring process, even if it's hard to say out loud because you're afraid you might lose the person. So what do I mean by this? Especially in startups, there's this new phenomenon that you hire for milestone, right? And the milestone is going to get you to the exit or it's going to get you to the next round of funding or it's going to get you somewhere. And sometimes you see a sales leader be part of multiple milestones. And sometimes you see them only be part of one, especially early, early stage companies. That first sales leader oftentimes is not the person that's going to be standing after the next round of funding. And the reason being is when you're validating and when you're building, oftentimes founders will go in a variety of different angles. One of them being the player coach. I never see that work out. That's like a recipe for disaster. So what do I mean by being intentional and getting real and right with the situation? What is the work that needs to be done now and in the near term? What does that look like? There's a difference between building and maintenance. And one isn't better than the other. They're just different. And those require different kinds of leaders. So I just talked to a company this week and the founder said to me, I need a CRO. And I said, well, tell me more about your company. Let's dig into this. And I already know they don't need it, but I'm asking. And what was interesting about it is they have a team of less than 10 people and they think that they need a CRO. They have a CRO now and an EVP of sales. And they have 2 million in, in ARR and a team of less than 10. A CRO is someone that is a strategic leader of lots of leaders and has the entire strategy across all revenue. That comes so far down the line that that's so, so much later. And if you hired a CRO, that person isn't going to want to get their nails dirty in the down and dirty details of what needs to happen at that stage. Right. So that's what I mean by building versus maintenance, no shade to the CRO, love the CRO and no shade to the a round VP of sales. Love you too. You just do different things. So in my career of more than 25 years, I have only seen one one, that's it. One sales leader that went from early stage to sub 2 million that went through a billion and a half dollar exit and is still there as the CRO one, that's it. And so what's interesting to me is it's about that intentionality of what is the work now today? What do you need? And if you don't know what that is, I have a full on journal mechanism or methodology that I use where every day I talk about what I want to get done what I actually did get done, what kicked me in the rear end and what, what am I proud of? And then there's a fifth element to what am I, what am I leaving behind? And that leave behind, if you look back and I only look back every three weeks and then I see themes. And as I look back, I'm like, wow, okay, this helps me pinpoint my blind spots where I need help, where I need to potentially hire same thing for this. So do you know what the work it is that you need to offset especially founder-led selling, right? So let's say you're now over a million in ARR. Do you know what it is that you need? And and where are you really stretched? Not just, oh, I need to get this off my plate, just hire a VP of sales and then I'll go online and I'll 
snag somebody else's job description that looks really cool and I'll use it for myself. What they need is not what you need. SaaS is not created equal, right? Tech is not created equal. Sales leaders are not created equal. It's what you need. And then it's being honest. So I also subscribe to scorecard methodology because sometimes the stories that we start to tell ourselves, it's not rooted in reality of what the person actually wants to do, can do, has done. These are all things that you need to validate. And that's what the hiring process is meant to do. So that, but also being honest, I think it's perfectly okay. And in fact, people crave the reality of this situation. You're going to find out one way or the other, why not be honest now to save yourself major angst and time and money that you don't have. So when I think about what I mean by being honest throughout the interview process, I'd be very clear. For example, if I'm hiring a VP of sales and I'm a late seed stage company, I might say, I love X, Y, and Z about what you're bringing to the table, but let's be honest with each other. In four years time, we don't know what this business is going to look like. You're helping me build that foundation. And down the road, I might need to bring in a different kind of sales leader that's going to help both of us learn. My commitment to you is I don't want to lose you. I will do everything in my power to support you. And as you need to grow, I will be there. And if that means that you assume that position, great. And if that means that you can't because you haven't been there, because we don't know, because that's a risk to the business, no, I'll be by your side to make sure that we do it right and well together. That's what I mean by honesty. And nobody does that. Well, not nobody. My clients actually do, but most people <laughs> don't. You know, it's Amy, you went into so many productive areas, but that whole concept, I get it when sales leaders press a founder for a CRO title. I get it. I understand when that happens. It's wrong. It, it's dysfunctional, but it's, I get it. What I don't get is where you started this with, and that is when founders of, you know, 1 million or 2 million ARR companies think they need a CRO. What is that based on? What do you see? What are they thinking of at that point? Is it just lack of real awareness of what they really need? Or is there some other disconnection happening there? I find that it usually happens with the lack of awareness, right? And, and they're caught up in future state. But more importantly, I find that they get seduced by a candidate and the candidate isn't self-aware. And they're like, if I want this job, you have to give me the CRO title. Okay, that I get. So it's typically not that founder that shared that with you. Was that that kind of type of a case? Or is that someone who just looked at this and said, it's time, I need a CRO at 2 million ARR? Well, I mean, yeah, but also I, I just talked to somebody last week and their board is advising them to hire a CRO. And the board has no business making that suggestion. It will hurt this gentleman's startup in a major way. They don't even have a million in ARR. You don't need a CRO. So no. then I have to, with respect, but firmness, I can't engage in this because I'm going to be bringing somebody to the slaughterhouse. And I know you're not intentionally trying to slaughter somebody, but okay. that's what's going to happen here. And then I start looking at the board and I realize. These are smart people, but they aren't people that are equipped to provide this advice because they don't know what they're talking about for this recommendation. They know plenty of other things, just not this. So it's all these different factors. And it really, you know, anytime I talk to a founder and they're just starting out, one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give them is it is imperative 
for you to be very careful, especially in this market. There is a lot of clutter. It doesn't mean that the quality quotient has increased. It just means that there's a lot more that you got to snuff out. And so who you choose to get money from and who you choose to have on your board, those are really, really big bets that you need to be very precise about. There's a lot to unpack here in the first 10 minutes. So I'm going to make one <laughs> comment and then I have a question for you, Amy. And the comment is the title chief revenue officer mm -hmm. is unfortunately becoming a misnomer throughout the industry. In the latest research we've done, people with the CRO title over 60% of the time, they have sales or sales and customer success, never the entire customer life cycle facing in departments of marketing sales and customer success. So that's one. Do you see the same thing, Amy, that they will give them the title, but they don't give them the responsibility, whether it was appropriate or not? Yeah. And, and then there's this big debate, depending on if you're talking to marketers, where they think that it should be the reverse of that and marketing should own all of revenue. So it's like, depending on, and this is the problem where depending on the source, right? Especially if you go to LinkedIn where content is flowing and you have people spewing nonsense, it starts shaping these decisions that make or break what happens next. And it's something else you said, I wanted to dig into this and that's context, context of any advice, right? And specifically, I want to double click on this. So you talked about hire that head of sales, VP, SVP, whatever the title is, right? for what you need now at your stage of development and evolution. If you're 1 million to 2 million, you need something different. Most likely you need it 10 to 20. However, what I'm hearing you really say, Amy, is this narrative about 18, 19, 20 months of tenure for VP of sales, maybe that's actually appropriate because you're hiring the person to do the job that's in front of them now not the job that's out there in two years, because we don't know what the job will be in two years. So are we okay with this tenure? It may or may not be appropriate. I don't think you have to lose people is my point. If you're honest with somebody and they're honest with themselves, and that's all I really care about is, are we all being honest about what really is happening here? That's the work that I do is let's get the cards face up straight up on that table and let's, let's figure it out. And I will be very clear with our candidates that like, look, Nobody's writing you a check that they can't cash. And let's look at what's happening in this environment. This is your second time as a VP of sales. And it's always been at the A round. You still have a lot to learn. And if you want to be a CRO, which you told me you do, the only way to really do that well is to learn from somebody else's leadership. There is going to be a point in time where this is going to have to happen for you. If you're really serious about building a sustainable career, and then that's actually a tell for me. Like, what do they really care about? Are they in it for like the shiny objects of just whatever? Or do they care about their career? And what does my client care about? And I think if you have that kind of conversation, you're very clear then on where a person's coming from, what's important to them, how they view their career. And then I got to hear about what my client wants and where they're going. And if there is some sort of mismatch there where I know there's going to be a person over them right? If I know that that's going to happen, talk about it now, because then you don't have to lose the person in 19 months and they're part of it. It's not me versus you. The other thing, Ray, and you just like totally struck a chord in the most beautiful ways with me is you mentioned context. And I can't scream this from 
the podcast mountaintops enough. There is a difference between content. There's a difference between context and there's a difference between competency. Those three things are not mutually exclusive. And if they are, make sure that you understand why. Because just because somebody has a big following and a big voice or whatever the case may be, doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about and doesn't mean that they have the competence to back it up. Hey, Mark, I'm going to do a follow-up my own, sorry, to do that. But I'm going to throw this to you and to Amy. So for most of the VPs of sales that ultimately have to be replaced, is it typically because they've topped out, they can't take it to the next level, or is it because they haven't been able to perform in the current role? Is it 50-50? Is it 80 get topped out and 20% it's performance? What's really leading to this 19 to 20 month tenure? Oh, there's a lot of things that are swirling through my mind. And I think the big thing is the culpability is on both sides, right? So I think part of it is at the founder level and being honest about what really is going on and do you really know how to hire and do you really know what the work looks like and being open like we've talked about and then having an opportunity for that person to really have a seat at the table to do the work that you've hired them to do. That's their end of it. On the candidate side or on the VP or sales leader side, I can't tell you how many times I am deeply troubled by a lack of self-awareness of you are not the hero. You do not have every superpower of leadership. What is it that you do well? And where is it that you need help? And I think we are in this pressure cooker environment in many circumstances where it's growth at any cost that they're afraid to raise their hand and use their voice. And it's going to happen anyway, right? Like if you don't know what you're doing or you're in over your head, you're going to be found out and it's not going to be cute. And I can't tell you how many times I talk to VCs and good VCs, not dirty, good. And I talk to founders and executive leaders that are like, we are struggling with our sales leader in such a major way. I'm like, why? Here's one of the major common themes. They have the inability to be self-aware and they have the inability to manage up. So when you have a VP of sales and they look at the team and they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. What, what should I do? What should I do? I hired you to figure it out. And if you don't know and you can't tell me, that's a problem for me. Give me the benefit of the doubt to support you. Don't assume that I'm not going to support you. So this is this miscommunication that's happening. Too much assumption is happening. I'm preaching, please, for the love of God, folks, seek to understand, not to assume or to respond. And when you do, you realize that I actually have a really phenomenal leader. They need help. And there are plenty of options outside of the company. Because if, if it's everybody's first time at this rodeo, as a founder, I don't know how to help you. I haven't been here before. It's why I have you. But there are plenty of options out there. And so as a sales leader, here's where I need help specifically. And when I get that help, here's what I will be able to do. And here's who can help me. And here's what the time investment and the cost investment is going to be. If you do that and you're working for a good company and there are so many good startups, but people don't give people the benefit of the doubt to have this conversation, they just go inward. And then you've got a lot of people that are missing out on a lot of opportunity because they assumed on both sides of the table. So I'm here yeah. to hold everybody accountable. 
Yeah. <laughs> As you should. So I think you hit on a, a bunch of great areas there, but uh, I'll double click on one or two. The self-aware part of it is so important that what I see in this space, because of the hyper growth we've experienced in SaaS over the last six, eight, 10 years, there are lots of individuals in sales leadership that think they're a lot better than they actually are. And that's something that I've always tried to do in my career. I've been in situations where building a team and being successful and blowing away numbers was really easy. And those are the times I especially looked at myself and said, but okay, I'm being successful. Everybody's really happy with where we are, but what can I still do better? What am I so lucky that I was doing and I didn't have to ever be held accountable for it? You know, what mistakes did I make? And I still look like, you know, I'm the hero. Very few people in sales do that. Very few people in sales leadership does that. Um, but I think in general, you know, those are the discussions that need to happen during the interview process. And frankly, to your point, it's got to be improved on both sides because founders have to be able to really look at this and say, wow, I have someone who is self-aware. I have someone who's a little humble here and not just want to hire for the most confident, cockiest individual because they think, well, that person must be the best. I see that every day. And I think you know, like the one thing that is deeply troubling to me is the inability or the lack of desire or both to have business conversations as individual contributors, as leaders, as executives, as founders, as entrepreneurs. You've got to be able to communicate together like what you just described, because if you can't, and there's this whole thing about creating a culture of accountability and transparency. And the only way you can be accountable is if you have ownership. And the only way that you can do that is if you're in a safe place to do that, right? That you can stumble and fall without being escorted out the side door and losing your job. And part of that is the expectation. I live and die by this motto, which I know is going to shock you, Ray. Totally. Mark, you already know this, but I like to set expectations early and often with people in my life, personally and professionally for how we are together. Because it's, it's a heck of a lot easier to understand where we're coming from before any E! True Hollywood story drama comes up and that we can actually talk about it together in a very pragmatic and non-inflammatory way up front than trying to deal with it later. And this starts, so let's take it right back to the original question. This starts in the hiring process. If you are unable to do this or you're trying to do it and it's not being received well, We've got problems. There's a really big tell there for you. If you can't do it, are you really equipped to be a leader? Because one of the best traits of the best leaders, two things in my mind. One, you realize it's about the people, the sum of your parts. You're there to support them to be successful because if they're successful, you're successful. Two, to do that well, you've got to manage up, across, and down the organization. Part of that is what we're talking about with setting those expectations early and often together. If you are unable to do that, or you don't want to do that, might not be the right role for you. And that's okay. It's funny that you talked about managing up, but also manning across. Because those relationships with your peers, your head of marketing, your head of customer success, head of finance, that often creates friction. And that can lead to the downfall of a revenue leader. And I've seen it happen very often, including yours truly. 
So the question I have, is there any advice you can give to that candidate about really making sure they conduct enough diligence with their colleagues up front that they could say, I could work with this person? Because everyone's on their best behavior. Everyone's selling. They're selling the candidate because they think he or she can do it. And the candidate, of course, is selling the head of marketing or head of customer success so they get their approval, right? Any kind of candidate advice on what you can do in those cross-functional interviews to make sure it's a good culture fit? Yeah. So I like to channel my real world episode. What do I mean by that? Their tagline is everything. When people stop being polite and they start getting real. I'm not suggesting that people throw their manners out the window. No, 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 no. But you've got to get real. And so I don't love theoretical discussions in an interview. Cut it out, get to the practice. And if that means that you have to sign a mutual non-disclosure agreement, great, then do that. But we've got to get to the meat of the problem. Again, not where you think you're going to be in 12 years from now, because those are going to be a whole host of other problems. What is happening in the business now? Let's dig into the segment. This is a really great way to tell this, right? So if I'm dealing in a startup or I'm considering a startup as a sales leader, my first question is, well, to myself before I even talk to them, is to do research online. What does their executive team look like? Who's there? Do they have marketing? Do they not have marketing? Just because they don't have marketing doesn't mean that's a 911 problem. That could actually be a good thing where you could influence the marketing hire. Or if you need marketing already baked in because you want a whole set of leads already there, okay, great. Like it's just what's important to you. But these are things that people don't think about. Is there a CS leader? What does that look like? Is there product marketing? What does that look like? What does the product team look like? What's the intersection between myself and the board? And as you're thinking about those things, it's really okay to say, I'd like to have some visibility into this. Is there a way that we can incorporate your head of CS, your head of marketing, somebody from the board that's really involved in the operational side or like your VC if they have an operating arm, right? So for example, Insight Venture Partners, I have a great relationship with them. I love them. They have this Insight Onsite function and it's a really big advantage for a lot of their portfolio companies. They're there to guide them and they work very closely together well, if I'm a sales leader and I know somebody like Pablo Domingos is going to be in my backyard all the time, I'm going to want to talk to Pablo because Pablo is also influencing what's happening at the VC level. So it's that ability to do your research first, right? We're all big kids. Do your research first to figure it out. And for whatever the blind spots are, great. And inside the interview process, ask for that time. And then when you have that time, don't be talking about, this is the one thing that happens at Thursday Night Sales that makes me just shut down a little bit. What interview questions should I ask? And my answer is always, I don't know. I'm not in the interview with you. It's not my life. It's not my career. What's important to you? This is your career. What do you want to confirm or deny? As you're listening, what are the things that aren't adding up? Ask that. That's what you want to figure out. So theme rules apply here is get that time and then make that time count to confirm or deny the things that you need to see. So that could be things like product market fit. And what does that really look like? And how many customers are there? And maybe, you know, you break down a customer that they just acquired or one that's been around for a long time. Why do they stay with you? Why are they leaving you? Why did they come to you in the first place? These are all things that you are going to have to break down as a VP of sales. The market's going like this right now. It's so fast that everyone's making, we just had this with a candidate. He was passive inside of 10 days. He had an offer. 
He went through a two-step process. Now, look, I'm a sales gal. Time kills all deals. A two-step process that wasn't thorough. Like, I understand if it's like two full half days and you're meeting everybody and going through all the things, great. But no, 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 no. It was like conversation with this person, two conversations with these other people, let's go. I'm deeply troubled by what might happen if he takes that job. He doesn't know all of the other things. So that's how I think about it. So Amy, that is such great observations. Now we could spend hours with you and it would all be productive. So I'm going to hand to Ray to close this up. And again, thank you so much for spending the time with us here. Thank you for having me. We didn't even get to any of the other stuff, clearly. Like next time, we'll just pick one lane because clearly we can dig into it. I'm not a surface dweller, as you as you both know. So thank you. For anybody that's listening, I hope it's helpful. I I believe it is. Stay in this round of VP of sales and how to make that higher successful and talk about things like be honest, right? Truth is a great equalizer when it comes to interviewing. Amy, where can people, I know that, you know, anyone who follows LinkedIn and sales are going to see you, but what's the best way to follow you and to get more insights from you and your experience? I am on LinkedIn. I am on Twitter. You can go to avenuetalentpartners.com. Every which way of being able to connect with me is there as well. Plus a blog that I write where it's long form content on actionable things that you can take away. My scorecard methodology is there for hiring and on the candidate side. My journal methodology is there. And you can come to Thursday Night Sales where it's not just for, there's a misnomer that it's just if you're a salesperson. We have technical founders, we have marketers, we have CS leaders, we have sales leaders, we have executive sales leaders and anywhere in between and around that. So if you want a place where you're going to have a very similar open, straight up, unfiltered conversation, that's a great place where I spend hours every week on on Thursdays. Amy, thank you for what you do for the industry. Thank you for what you do for the B2B sales profession. And to our listening audience, if the guest and content we're covering on Simon Cloud has been interesting and valuable to you, it would mean the world to us. If you go ahead and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, go ahead and give us that five-star rating. And even if it's not five-star, give us your rating and give us your recommendation how we can make this show even better and even more useful for you as you continue your journey in the B2B SaaS and cloud industry. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Mark, for being my co-host as always. You're welcome. Thank you.